Hyde from Parkdale Secondary College, Mordialic in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Hum podcast on Live FM. My name is Aaliyah and my co-hosts today are Nick, Lisa and Jeanette. Our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. He's a young man with lived experience with gambling harm. Hi, Fred. Welcome to the show. Hi, Aaliyah. Thank you for having me. What age did you begin gambling? <sighs> probably started gambling regularly when I was 14, probably in year nine, which was probably 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm 26 now. And it started, when I started, it was just small multis, like small bets, five, ten dollars because that's all I could get access to. And I kind of knew which KB to go to, which guy to sneak around with, you know, how to kind of position myself so I could kind of hide um, and then throughout the rest of my schooling and then post-school, it just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And um, do you believe that the games you played when you were younger that had gambling aspects, aspect, aspects to it, mm. um, do you believe that that's what started your addiction? I think definitely it was just a natural progression. You know, I was very obsessive gamer and with competition, you know, like even from age 10, 11, I was in arcade games, you know, putting those uh, dollar coins in and playing like stacker and stacking the yeah. blocks of the tops and I'd play hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, mm. and, you know, take coins from the coin jar and then same with PlayStation, I could go all night. Yeah. So I think I showed from a young age definitely addictive behaviours, especially to games of chance and yeah, just general competition. Yeah. So definitely I think it was a, a natural progression, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so how did gambling impact your mental and physical ways? Oh, a lot, a lot. I put on a lot of weight when I, when I finished school and I, and I really wasn't very academic kid and I just really wasn't engaged with it, you know, not that I wasn't bright, but I just really, yeah, just was, I was bored by the classroom. So when I finished school and I had a lot of, um, money from an inheritance of, of losing my old man at a young age and, and losing my grandma, I started gambling regularly all the time, you know, and then it became throughout 2015 a habit of sleeping all day, going to the pubs at night, you know, betting on dogs, horses, and then going and betting at the casino and the weekends was the same, but it was just all footy or cricket. Um, and the way that it impacted on me physically and mentally was like, well, I became really depressed because I was losing and, it was just a really unhealthy lifestyle. And I put on a lot of weight. I put on like, you know, a good 30, 35 kilos. And it impacted me really badly. You know, I think people could see it just by looking at me that I wasn't happy and or healthy. And it was just really bad for my for my physical and mental health. It was a yeah, it was bordering on catastrophic. It was, yeah, very unhealthy. Um, you mentioned that you got access to your inheritance when you were 18. Do you believe if that you didn't have access to that inheritance mm. that it um, wouldn't have gotten as bad as it did? It's a good question. I think potentially, yeah, I think potentially because with that access, I suppose it's almost impossible, right? Like that's why I'm really big on pushing disabling um disabling behaviors, you know, not enabling behaviors. Um, I think I was headed for trouble regardless. I think just the fact that I was getting a lot in trouble at school and I was having kind of an identity crisis and, you know, the grief and trauma of losing my dad and just being kind of wild and not fitting into the box of society. I think I was headed for trouble anyway and that just kind of made it easier. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe not 
as bad financially, but I think I would have hit trouble one way or another. You mentioned in your article that you stole money from your mom. Do you still have a relationship with her? Yeah, uh, we have an amazing relationship. Um, and we had a really good relationship before that. During that time, obviously, it was really strained because of what I was doing um, to her and, and to myself. And, yeah, it took a long time to rebuild that trust and respect that, you know, she didn't have to check her accounts anymore and she could kind of, you know, leave me alone when it comes to doing my own thing, you know, having work and, and building on that the last five, six years. Um, but over time and repetition of behaviours, yeah, you, you, you can you can turn that around. It does take time. It takes a lot of work. And I think it kind of goes like this, you know, at the start, when you start a problem, you have the, let's say, the benefit of the doubt. And then over time, you know, the more you lie, the more you behave in a certain way, the less the less trust and respect you have from your friends and family. And then it's doubt of benefit. You know, whatever you say, they're going to doubt you naturally. And then only actions can kind of bring that back to benefit of the doubt. So I think, yeah, it took a long time to rebuild our relationship, but now it's stronger than ever. Uh, did you know that there were helplines? If so, did you? why didn't you access them? I did know there were helplines and I did access them, actually. It just, a couple of, like, after a couple of bad losses or a couple of, like, you know, crisis moments, I called them and kind of asked for help and kind of shared some of what I was going through. I wasn't fully open with them. And I think why I didn't stick is because I wasn't ready to change. You know, I, I wanted to keep gambling. I wanted to turn it around in that space and I wasn't ready to stop and absorb the pain of what I'd done and other things in my life, like losing my dad, and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, lots of things. And gambling was a distraction from that. And it was like a cycle of anxiety and shame. You know, the, the worse I felt, the more I would gamble. So I called them a couple of times and it was helpful and they asked really insightful questions. But, you know, it's like that old saying, if you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. I couldn't change until I was ready to change. And that kind of took, yeah, that took me hitting rock bottom. What was the turning point when where you realised you needed help? Oh, that's a perfect segue from that question. That's perfect. Yeah, because that's what I was talking about just then is was hitting rock bottom. Was was That, that was the point. It, not necessarily that I realised I needed help, but that I realised that I needed to change. And being realising that I needed to change made me embrace accepting help because I wanted to change. Because I knew that after the third time I stole from my mum, that if I kept going, you know, she was going to call the police and they were going to press charges against me for theft. So I knew that if I kept going, I, you know, was going to get in, in big trouble. So I had a choice of, you know, keep going and get in trouble with the law, keep gambling and, you know, potentially be arrested or, or stop and turn my life around. So I think having that pressure thrust back onto me was essential because it's very easy, guys, when you're gambling through your phone or through chips or through screens to distance yourself from the loss. You know, it's not like it was in the 90s or early 2000s where you have to go with big bags of cash and you go $100 bill after $100 bill and you have time to think about it. It's like bang, 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 you know, and you can push it away. But when someone puts that pressure that feeling of what you're doing back onto you that feeling of consequence if you keep doing this then this is going to happen and you don't want this to happen that was my rock bottom 
feeling that that pressure, that self-preservation. And it's unfortunate that, that that's what it took for me, but it, it is what it took. I had to feel a reason to change. And that was my immediate reason to change. And then I found many other reasons. Um, so yeah, that, that moment of of stealing from my mum for the third time and being threatened with the police and I knew she was serious was the moment that I decided, okay, I need to change. Um, if you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to our Gambling Hard pod- Harm podcast on Live FM, live from Parkdale Secondary College, Mordialic in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Aaliyah and my co-hosts today are Lisa, Nick, Ange and Nat. Our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein, who is a young lived experience with Gambling Harm. Now, Fred, do you think that your dad gambling when you were growing up made it feel normal to you and made it um, mm. normalised in your life? I think definitely. I think people ask me that a lot was gambling like a connection to him and it wasn't like a conscious thought like oh you know I should do this because dad did it it was more subconscious it was like my dad did it and then my older brother did it and also fit my personality like a glove and my temperament um being very moody and very excitable so yeah I definitely think it had a massive influence on me and also the fact that he was a well-respected businessman and mathematician you know and I have a little bit of that math brain, but nowhere near to the extent he did. I think I was envious of that. And yeah, definitely it was um, a way of dealing with my trauma, a way of distracting myself from being disengaged with life and the education system. And it was just, yeah, I suppose a circumstantial event of all those things coming together. And that's, you know, that's where I ended up. And I think, like I said earlier, I was headed for trouble regardless, but I think if I had, you know, if I had a bit more information about myself and maybe a bit more support earlier on, it, it could have been, potentially could have been slightly lessened, but more now, I don't like to look backwards and live with regret. I, I, I try to be proactive and give my story and the information about what I've been through so that if anyone's going through something similar or they know someone who is that, you know, they know that it's okay, it happens and there are ways out that don't involve gambling more and other really, really unfortunate ways that people try to get out of it. Uh, and um, what advice did your family members and friends give you to help you with you with your addiction? It was hard because they really tried to help yeah, And they, you know, the more it went on and the more obvious it became that there was a problem and the more depressed I became, they, yeah, they tried to intervene. They were, you know, trying to call me out saying they know that it's not all as hunky-dory as I'm making out. And, you know, they were just kind of there for me in kind of a quiet, passive way, um, I suppose towards the end. When I started borrowing from friends, they became more involved and in saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And they kind of knew that I was so strong-willed and so headstrong. And at that time, that was a really, in, that turned into a really detrimental thing that they just had to kind of leave me be, and, but be there for me at the same time. They tried. Um, and I just suppose the fact that they were just stood by me the whole time, and didn't, you know, throw me to the curve. I think that was the main thing, just the fact that they were there and that they were there through that and then they were there through the recovery and they were kind of consistent all along, you know, just stable. 
and positive influence on me. I think that was essential. And I did have to lose a few friends along the way that weren't good influences on me. And the ones that were and the ones that were true friends were there for me the whole time and still are. And I'm really lucky that they were. But I suppose they, they said, you know, like there's better uses of your time and your money and your your qualities as a human being than what you're doing. But, you know, I was so arrogant and, and so afflicted with with poor mental health and delusional thinking that I could, you know, succeed in gambling, succeed as a gambler, that I was smarter than the system. You know, there's a reason, guys, that these guys have jobs and, and they go home every day and they have stability and they can put food on the table. And there's a reason that it's not like that for gamblers. You know, that's how it's designed. So I think by just stepping two feet in there, I mean, you're, you've already lost. So the best way that I could win, I suppose, was just getting out of there. You know, I couldn't, even now, I wouldn't feel right about just, you know, putting on social gambling or, or small bets. I just think the best way for someone who's high risk like I am is just to abstain. And, um, sorry, do you believe that... Um, their advice helped you? Their advice more when I was open-minded to it, you know, because when I was in it, I was very close to it. And, you know, when anyone's close-minded to anything, it's <laughs> you could have the best advice in the world and it's it's probably not going to take. But as I was became more invested in my own recovery and my own self-development and turning my life around and finding work, I took their advice more and more and more. And it's to the point now that I'm still very open to advice, but now I'm really regained my self-confidence and regain my self-belief because I suppose at that time of when I was at rock bottom, I really had to rebuild, you know, really strip me of, of ego and self-assurances and just strip me of that because I needed to admit I needed help and I needed support and I've rebuilt my self-confidence and my self-perception over years of hard work and, and yeah, just doing positive things for friends and family and for community. And I'm not a saint, but I, I just try and do my best in whatever I'm doing. I try to do my job and I try to always improve. And I think that is the main thing was, even though I had some of the characteristics that I have now, I had before I was gambling, it was just turning it into healthier forms and understanding why I gambled and why it wasn't gonna work for me and what I could do instead that would make me feel and be the way I wanted to be and the way I wanted to feel. So I think that was that was the key. Did you ask her a question? We have to wrap up. Is there any advice would you give to people dealing with gambling addicts or harm? I think my the main thing I could give is is or two is one is just be honest with yourself because People say, you know, why didn't you reach out for support? Why didn't you take help earlier? It's because I wasn't honest with myself. I was lying to myself. I was living a lie that I could have success as a gambler and that I was having success. I was completely deluded and I needed professional support to get out from that. So that's one. Just be honest with yourself. And then when you're honest with yourself, you can be honest with someone else, someone that you trust and respect, you know, anyone. Um, and the second one is that, you know, you're going to die. One way or another, you're going to die. And like, what do you want to live for? Like, what do you want to be known as? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? You know, I'm pretty sure it's not one as a degenerate or as someone who is a loser, which there is a perception around, you know, degenerative gamblers as losers and with weak willpower, which I don't think 
that, that last one's not really fair. It's very hard when you have an addiction to anything. But yeah, like I said, when you're at that high risk, that I think the only way is you can abstain. And even though it is hard, it is hard, it's, you're much better off. The things you can do instead, you're much better off. But it's hard. I'm lucky. You know, not everyone got the high level of support that I got. Not everyone can afford it. Not everyone has that, those resources that I got. And I think it's very important that people know that, you know, it's okay to suffer and struggle a little bit. And it's also okay to talk about it and, and admit that you need help. You can't do it alone. That's all we have time for today. But thank you so much, Fred. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you. You guys have been sharp. <laughs> that was live from Parkdale Secondary College, Morty Alec in Melbourne, Australia. You've been listening to our Gambling Hum podcast on Live FM. My name's Leah. My co-hosts today were Lisa, Ange, Nat and Nick. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Yes, yes, y'all.